forever. Dog. Hello again, I am Gabe Gonzalez, and you are listening to the Queerty Podcast, a weekly show from Queerty and Forever Dog, where I'll be covering news, politics, and pop culture, impacting the LGBTQ community, and invite a guest, you know, to hang out a bit, reflect on the week, and just generally keep it cute. We've got one more Friday on the books, so thanks for joining me at the end of this week, where some good news feels almost on the horizon, right? Will we get a $15 minimum wage or a fully vaccinated population first? Who knows? I am not equipped to speculate. But today we will be discussing some of the most notable stories from the week that I am interested in and ready to talk about, including how a former WNBA player is following in Raphael Warnock's footsteps, what Ian McKellen is doing on TikTok, I'm deeply worried for him, and which Euphoria actor went out to buy a face mask and ended up finding a husband on Craigslist. We've also got a super incredible guest who you may recognize from the Freeform show Good Trouble, stand-up comedian and actor Sherry Cola is here to hang out for a bit, so I will be asking her about the show, her comedy, her political involvement, and what it's like to heckle Rhea Butcher. But first, we got to talk about those headlines in a little segment we like to call Catch Her Up. Our first headline of the day, a WNBA team ownership has changed hands to include an out black woman. Once a former player for the Atlanta Dream, Renee Montgomery is now one of three owners who are in charge of her former team, which was once owned by a Trump supporting senator by the name of Kelly Leffler, who is thankfully no longer in office. While she was the owner, Leffler criticized Montgomery and other players for supporting the Black Lives Matter movement and protests against police brutality. So these players organized to help Kelly Leffler's opponent, Senator Rafael Warnock uh, win that election. And when Leffler agreed to sell the team after losing the election, players in the WNBA were pretty much excited to see an openly gay black woman take charge who was once a player like them. So now both Warnock and Montgomery can say they will be taking over Kelly Leffler's old job and doing it better. In a statement, Montgomery said breaking barriers for minorities and women by being the first former WNBA player to have both a stake in ownership and a leadership role with the team is an opportunity that I take very seriously. Our second headline, what is Ian McKellen doing on TikTok? I thought I was too old to be there, so I am deeply intrigued. Thankfully, though, he is not embarrassing himself. He actually went on to join the star of It's a Sin, Ali Alexander, to talk about a number of topics, including why he believes the gay community should stand up for trans and gender nonconforming members of our broader LGBTQ family. And he actually criticized gay men who sometimes use alienating language against the trans community that parallels the hate speech that's been aimed at gay men and women from people in power not so long ago and sometimes still today. McKellen actually said, the connection between us all is we come under the queer umbrella. We're queer. I quite like being queer, actually. The problems that transgender people have with the law are not dissimilar from what used to be the case for us. So I think we should all be allies, really. This is something, a a topic we actually talked about last week's episode. I think when we were talking about that men's only campground um, that banned trans men, which sounds ridiculous. And I'm just really thankful to hear a celebrity kind of bring some perspective to a topic that rings true both in the UK and the US. He also specifically was talking about laws that have been passed with the intent to discriminate against a particular marginalized community. You know, we have seen it in the UK and here as well in states that are trying to pass bills, some of which have become laws targeting trans people in sports or seeking health care or even needing bathroom access. So I think if you can use your platform to speak out against bigotry and discrimination, I'm all for it. And if it means Ian McKellen has to go on TikTok to do it, I'm here for it. We got to get him on Facebook. That's where the olds are. That's where the people that need the convincing are. The TikTok generation no longer believes in gender binaries. So I think, you know, we're fine there. He's preaching to the choir, but I'm glad he did it. Yeah. 
And our third headline of the day, Coleman Domingo found his husband on Craigslist. The actor who you may recognize from the Walking Dead series or Euphoria recently told GQ he found his husband on Craigslist. According to that interview, it went down at a Walgreens in 2005. That's before Scruff or Grinder existed. Way back when in 2005, when his husband, Raul Octanov, was in the store and they made eye contact, which I guess is like how people used to meet. I love this. Coleman had gone in for a face mask, as you do when you are handsome and in the industry. And Raul was on the phone, so they never spoke. But then Raul posted on Craigslist to see if he could find the man he had seen at the Walgreens. And now they're married. I love this. I miss the ingenuity and determination of pre-hookup app gaze, if I'm being entirely honest. Because like we had the internet. It was a wild west out there. Like we're talking websites, okay? Uploading pictures to websites called Adam for Adam, Manhunt, Dudes Nude. Do y'all remember those? I don't know. Maybe I'm aging myself here. I feel like I was maybe one of the last generations who kind of used Craigslist in this way as well like posting in personals. I actually met my very first boyfriend freshman year of college through a Craigslist post. I was at the liberal arts school next to his art school. And that's how I found him. Looking back, I do wish I'd found Coleman Domingo instead. All right, before I get too introspective here, and now it is time to loop in our guest. I'm really excited to introduce this person, an actress and comedian you've seen on Good Trouble, you've seen on Claws, and you've seen on I Love Dick, opposite everyone's favorite witch, Katherine Hahn. She is somebody who's brought so much heart and humor to the screen while using her platform for good. So please welcome to the QWERTY podcast, Sherry Cola. Yo, hello, Gabe. Thanks for having me. First of all, I want to say that eye contact is making a comeback right now in this time. It's all we've got these days. When I'm at Trader Joe's, all I can give the cashier are my eyes. You know, that's how I make everyone fall in love with me is eye contact. We're we're back because of the face masks. It's truly the only visible part of your face. You got a smize, as Tyra said. There's a reboot of eye contact. We're nostalgic for eye contact. I love that. How retro, how vintage of us. Thanks for having me, Gabe. How fun. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on today. I'm really excited. You're So you're out in LA, right? Mm-hmm. I'm in West Hollywood. I'm actually right behind the standard. And, and what a heartbreaking moment. It's closing. My comedian friends who live in LA that were like, you know, we're really going to miss the standard. Like when I was working there, not doing shows, you know, just like trying to get by, park at people's cars. It really is just like this iconic place that everybody's stumbled through it at some point, it seems like. Have you walked by recently? There's a neon sign in the shape of an ovary. Like they've been representing me for uh, <laughs> as, far as, as far as I can remember. I look out my window and I feel seen. So rest in peace to standard. RIP those neon ovaries. I wonder yeah. if they're like going <laughs> to sell them off in an auction. You know what I mean? If you can get like a community fund to buy the neon ovaries. I mean, that would have single-handedly saved the standard. If they if they just auction the freaking neon ovary, it's a spinning neon ovary. What I want to do is petition the next mayor of New York City to purchase these ovaries and put them on the Statue of Liberty. I think democracy needs a reboot. We got to help her out. Yeah, the spinning neon ovary is kind of like the Batman symbol when you think about it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right change that narrative. Who's our hero? Who's the hero that <laughs> that light calls? I want to know. We need them. Um, Meryl Streep. <laughs> yes! Just... <laughs> Honestly, just Meryl Streep in like a skin tight cat suit and a yeah. sick ass cape. Oh, that'd be great. All right, Sherry, we're going to have a lot of fun today. I can already tell. I want to ask about the role that you are most known for and currently playing on TV. Good Trouble is back for season three and you play Alice. Tell us a little bit about that character and what it's been like working on that show, I guess, not just as an actor, but also kind 
kind of dealing with these outside circumstances, keeping safe and stuff like that? Yeah. First of all, I have to say that our entire cast and crew have just been so disciplined and respecting the safety protocols and it's been smooth thus far. And I'm so proud that we're in season three. Time really flies when you're making a bomb ass show. You know what I mean? Like time flies when you're on the perfect um, series. Before I even went in for the audition and I read this paragraph describing Alice, my character, and it was, you know, Asian American, first generation, lesbian, not out to her parents, aspiring to be a stand up. Like this was already set before I even walked in the room. And it just meant so much. The fact that like these non-Asian people wrote this character because they wanted it on the screen and cut to me actually portraying the character really. I mean, this is not a character I saw growing up at all. You know what I mean? I can probably just count in my 31 years Asian queer characters that are layered to this extent. I think that's what it is to actually have substance. This character, you know, is going through bizarre lengths to hide who she is from her parents. At the same time, she's manager of this coterie, this communal living space that we live in. And at the end of season one, spoiler, she does end up coming out and it's this emotional, beautiful scene. Once again, just missing from the media for so many years. And, you know, the fact that this can shine a light and kind of provide hope for, you know, an Asian girl in the middle of Idaho. You know what I mean? That already goes a long way. And yeah, in, in season two, Alice steps into the comedy world and kind of finds her voice in that way because she's always like bottled her emotions. So to have that platform to express and kind of navigate uh, that world and being a guppy, you know, uh, being, <laughs> yeah. the, being the new kid, right? We can all relate to that. And in season three, we're still seeing this evolution of confidence with Alice, right? Because mm-hmm. it's kind of like she'll grow and then she'll kind of go back to her apologetic ways. Very back and forth. In season three, we kind of see how far she'll be pushed to her limit of testing Asian stereotypes, you know, things like that, representing in a diverse way, but at what cost? You know, those are mm-hmm. the themes really in season three on top of her, you know, trying to be a power top and wear yes. the pants, wear the pants in her love life. Because right now she's, you know, she, she's bottom verse. <laughs> she's making her way downtown to be the Vanessa Carlton of um, <laughs> the lesbian <laughs> community. I love that. Just on a giant floating piano through the streets. Yeah, that way. was yeah. just kind of a little sum up of what Alice has gone through in the last three seasons. But I just I feel really proud, Gabe. Honestly, like Good Trouble has been ahead of the game. And that's period. It is so beautiful just to even hear you describe that arc, to be able to portray a character that not only reflects aspects of your life, but is nuanced and layered. It's not like, okay, we got to pick. Is she a lesbian or is she Asian? I've heard that so many times creatively. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you got to pick a lane. It's too much. It's too alienating. Well, it's like alienating to whom? Who's your audience in this case? Right. right? I mean, even Sherry, it's like, I'm a female. I'm an immigrant. You know, I'm bisexual and I'm Asian. It's like, there's so many layers. It's just like, you can't put anyone in a box. I think with Good Trouble, it's really cool to see all these characters who are so dynamic. We learn and we discover as we go, which is really cool. Like, you know, with Alice, it's like, I thought I knew her in season one. I thought, oh, this is Sherry. This is me playing myself. But as we 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 progressed into the seasons, I learned like, oh, we're actually really different. Like I'm learning about this person as if she's my friend, which is what's cool about TV, right? You spend a long time with a character. So I'm just discovering a personality traits about her as we go. And the journey is still not over. But yeah, it's like all these characters on Good Trouble. Every single person is fighting for change in some way and just kind of trying to embrace who they are and be comfortable in their own skin, which is the most 
relatable thing and the mm. most human thing, you know? So I think that's why the show has resonated with so many people. Definitely. Yeah. And, and it is exciting to see characters from traditionally marginalized communities sort of having room to grow, room to fail, room to learn rather than just being sort of, you know, like the comedic relief or like the sob story and the martyr. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think what's really cool about the show also is like showing that we're flawed and imperfect. Every single character, especially Alice, she's doing some, she's making mistakes. You know what I mean? She's <laughs> yeah. doing some things that are making you shake your head. But at the same time, the audience is still rooting for her because mm. they see themselves in her. And it's just such a raw, real show that still has these like comedic and sexy. Oh my goodness. It is so hot. Yes. I mean, honey, season one, episode five, we got Cunnilingus in a bathtub. I mean, yeah. listen, this is primetime television. Also, you're also a comedian, right? I'm interested in what kind of your journey entering that world was like, because, you know, I think that's another space where even though it's not as visible, there definitely is kind of this system of like, maybe not patronage, but kind of like seniority and uh, a way that things were for a very long time. And I guess I'm interested, you know, are you a kind of stand up improv comedian? How do you kind of find yourself in that world? Yeah, well, something I've learned with stand up, um, as opposed to acting, for example, because with acting, you can absolutely book a role and your life changes in 24 hours. With stand up, you absolutely have to earn it. You know, it is not overnight. And I absolutely respect that. And I'm very aware that I need to pay my dues and kind of climb this ladder, right? So I I technically started doing stand-up for the first time officially in 2016, which wasn't even that long ago. And that same year is when I started acting and I got I Love Dick. And that same year, I also went to UCB and started taking improv classes to sharpen up my chops. And that same year, I had this viral video for this character, Lil Tasty. At the top of the year, I was working uh, at a radio station here in LA, 97.1 Amp Radio FM. Oh, wow. And I'd been working there since 2014. And so while I'm doing all this stand-up for the first time, viral character for the first time. Carson Daly, who was the morning show host, caught wind of the fact that I was in the building. He was like, wait, why are we not using her? So I think this was maybe May of 2016. Um, He met with me and I became part of the morning show in this like sporadic. It wasn't very, very consistent, but I popped in when I could. I love that. Just kind of pop culture news and me, you know, giving my comedic twist. So then eventually I ended up getting my own show on Sunday nights that fall, which was literally the, the month that I started I Love Dick. So 2016 was like this incredible year and I'm so grateful for it where I realized, oh my goodness, like this is my calling. Like I belong in this space of performing and and of comedy and just all of my passions are coming together because yeah, it was like stand up, character stuff, comedic acting, hosting. You know what I mean? Like it just was this seamless miracle. I mean, to be honest (laughs) with you, I, I can't even believe it sometimes. But back in high school, I did things like make funny videos in like a film club or I hosted the talent show, you know, which was essentially me writing jokes like for an opening monologue. <laughs> but, you know, I just never thought it could be endgame, to be honest. And I and I always kind of blamed the lack of representation because I didn't feel like that was my world, you know? Like, mm. oh, this is too far-fetched. Like, why am I going to risk it all to not even make it, right? Th- these were real thoughts. Um, especially being an immigrant, I always had this, like, foreigner complex to this day, to be honest. I mean, with everything going on in the world, but, you know, we'll get there. But the point is, I, I had the thought when I was a teenager, like, oh, Hollywood is for Americans. You know, of course, like, after, you know, I got older and I realized, okay, I am, you know, that bitch and I am capable of pursuing these things as a career. 2016 was a solid year. And, uh, yeah, I've just been doing stand-up and acting ever since. That is so beautiful to hear, right? Like, sometimes it just clicks and it keeps clicking and it's like, you're there and you realize it. I empathize so much with that sentiment. I think, you know, like... Uh, 
my parents weren't immigrants, but they came from Puerto Rico and there was this language barrier, right? Like I was the first one that went to mm-hmm. college out of my family. I didn't grow up speaking English first necessarily. And for a long time, I thought the same, right? I was like, I'm doing musical theater stuff after school, but like, I gotta, I'm gonna be a lawyer or like, a, yeah. I'm gonna be president. Like, that's the thing you got, you know, you gotta yeah. be really serious yeah. and like make money and change the world and like bear all your parents' hopes and dreams. And like, sometimes right. like you can thrive doing the thing that like you never were told you were allowed to, right. but you don't need yeah. anybody to tell you. You have a 2016, right? And you just grab the world yeah. by its horns. I mean, it's interesting because a lot of people of color need that plan B, which sucks. It's like, let me let me try and pursue this dream. But at the same time, but what if it doesn't work? Because honestly, society doesn't root for us. I mean, I can preach about it all day, but like, I think we're finally getting to that point where we are unapologetic. I'm sorry, especially queer people of color. You know what I mean? It's like Mm -hmm. even less opportunity in the past. And I'm thinking like right now we are more unapologetic than ever where we realize, oh, our stories are so worthy of being on the screen. It's like we can provide this unique point of view that a straight white man cannot. You know, it's like I feel that way also when I'm on like a stand up show and the whole lineup is like, you know, white (laughs) people. And I'm like, you know what? I'm about to switch it up right now. Yes. Throw a little variety in there. Yeah. 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 A little bit of, you know, Sesame, um, a little bit of just a dash, just a dash of sriracha. I, I'll take it, you know? I love that. All right, well, Sherry, we're going to take a break in a second, but I do want to ask you one more thing because you are a stand-up. So Rhea Butcher is another stand-up who is also on the show, and you meet their character in season two, I think, at a comedy club, right? Mm-hmm. And you meet kind of heckling them. Yeah. Which is like wild because it's like tense and it's like flirtatious, but it's also a major yeah. faux pas. Very right. mixed feelings watching that scene, right? As a comic, though, how did you feel shooting that scene? Were you like, oh my God? Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely a comedy faux pas to be like talking <laughs> that loud in the audience, especially if you're trying to be a comedian. But Alice just jumped into this like foreign world of comedy and thinks that, that she's like doing something good by agreeing to everything Rhea's character, Lindsay, is saying. And of course it backfires and, and Rhea <laughs> just roasts me, which was really fun. And I love Rhea. It's cool because I just uh, posted this video of me doing Put Your Hands Together their show at UCB. Oh, awesome. That was in 2018, I think. So I posted that video of them introducing me on stage and then I posted the the stills of tonight's episode and it's us on stage, but on Good <laughs> Trouble. It's honestly really cool to be working with people that you know are honestly comedy G's. Rhea is someone I really look up to, especially in the stand-up world. It's really cool to kind of be in it together. Respect to Rhea. But yeah, that scene was really fun, wasn't it? There were so many different things going on, so many emotions. And Alice is just someone you just feel bad for because <laughs> it's that feeling of like being new in a space and you want to be like yeah I like love this I love it but you like love it too hard and then everyone's like okay we get it you got yeah. it yeah <laughs> yeah call and response is not meant for the comedy world although to be fair I do a lot of stand up in Brooklyn and sometimes you can't tell if it's crowd work or not it just teeters on the edge you're like is this therapy is it crowd work <laughs> yeah. or are we just taking yeah, really yeah, long yeah. pauses between I love it either way I just want to know it's so funny because I've been doing zoom shows with zoom shows you have that delay I'll tell a joke and I'll be waiting for the laughter, thinking it's the delay. Yes. <laughs> but it's just no laughter. It's not. You got to keep trucking. <laughs> There's no laughter. And then I just, I pretend to freeze, you know, as if my Wi-Fi is out. It's always the solution. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you for that insight, Sherry. I'm amazed that you managed to get through that scene without breaking. Although maybe you did. We might see some behind the scenes footage at some <laughs> point. But we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to ask Sherry about a political project she did not too long ago and also talk about about some more pop culture stuff happening, uh, including the Golden Globes. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back. 
And welcome back to the Queerty Podcast. I am your host, Gabe Gonzalez, and we are here with today's guest comedian and actress from Good Trouble, Sherry Cola. Now, Sherry, I know that you are a comedian. We've seen you on TV, but you have also been very vocal online about promoting and supporting causes that you believe in. And last year, I think it was, you teamed up with people like Ronnie Chang and Kelly Marie Tran to encourage AAPI folks to vote. And I just wanted to ask you personally, now that we are on the other side of that election, what are things that you hope to see improve among Asian American and Pacific Islander communities in the U.S. over the next four years or even over the next decade? The big conversation was that Asian people for so long still felt like outsiders, right? Mm -hmm. This country didn't make us feel like we belonged and still treated us like foreigners to the point where we thought our vote didn't matter. You know, my mom voted for the first time last November and it just meant the world because she felt like she was part of this country and it's so long overdue and it goes hand in hand with like us as children of immigrants, as immigrants or even just third generation, whatever it may be, having conversations with our Asian families about these things because it really does matter because, you know, for a long time, I didn't have these conversations with my family because I figure like, what's the point, right? Like, they don't care. You know, I'm, I'm kind of rambling because it's so hard for me to wrap my head around. But like my mom, especially like she came to this country just to work hard and make sure her, her daughter doesn't go hungry. That's it. You're in survival mode. You're in survival mode. You're just happy to be here. I think a lot of the influence this year with Asian people becoming unapologetic and really speaking up and using their voice and having these conversations about voting was because that COVID-19 racism, especially with Trump in office, not making anything better, kind of fueled us, which paid off because I think the numbers of Asians and Pacific Islanders who voted increased immensely this past year because of these conversations we've been having. And because I really just felt like it was important. And listen, I'm not a politician by any means. You know, I, I went to school for entertainment studies, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, but I was trying to learn as much as possible so I could spread the word in any mm-hmm. way. Like, it, it means a lot to see our Asian community stronger than ever right now because of the circumstances, really. Even right now with the attacks on the Asian community, you know, we're like talking about it. We're making Amanda Nguyen's video go viral and for her to be on the news and, and spread awareness and just kind of like, listen, we're not going to take any shit from anyone. I think that's the conclusion here. Just right before the lockdown, I was at Soho House and this drunk, older white dude walks in the elevator, joins me and asks me immediately, do you have coronavirus? Oh my God. Oh, I'm sorry. These are things that have fueled the Asian community this entire year of like, why are we being treated like this? We have worked hard. Our ancestors have worked hard and we've been so chill about it. (laughs) In all (laughs) honesty, you know, like Asians don't want to rock the boat. Asians will stay quiet. Asians will sweep it under the rug that. Honestly, I think our community is at a point of saying that that stereotype. And that's why we're seeing more and more things being highlighted on the news and on social media. And I think with that being said, and just in the topic of politics, I think it's so crucial to be an ally, you know, the best ally you can be for any community, you know, with good trouble. It's just taught me so much, especially about the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. Patrice Cullors, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, uh, was in our writer's room and was consulting and and was on the show with, yeah, with Melina Abdullah, who is a queen. I mean, literally, I remember seeing Melina at a protest and she just came from set. You are a superhuman. You are actually a super and she's a mother of like, I think three, four. And she's also a professor at Cal State LA. Like she's just but at the end of the day, the work 
she's doing for her community. I mean, it's just inspiring, you know? And I think with Good Trouble, because of what we talk about on the show, I cannot be all talk and no action. I have to practice what I preach, which is why I try my best to also show up for other communities, you know? And I mean, I'm not the same person I was before Good Trouble. Season three slogan is speak up, speak out. And just being in the Asian community for my whole life, (laughs) I live to break those barriers and prove people wrong. And it just, I, I have to make sure that my community feels seen and feels worthy. It's so incredible to hear. And also that like you've got a gig where you feel empowered to grow in your own voice too. Like that is such a rare story in this industry from what we hear. And it's really beautiful to have that support, to feel supported, and then also feel enabled to better support those around you who've had different lived experiences. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it is such a theme that rings true in the LGBTQ community, but also among marginalized groups. You know, I think so much of what you've said, I know would ring true with some of my Latinx grandparents from Puerto Rico. It would ring true with so many of my other friends who've experienced that. And it's really great to see our generation leading that charge to not just make things better for future ones, but to engage with our elders Mm -hmm. and the people who came before us and learn from them and maybe help them feel capable or empowered to participate. Yeah. That is awesome. Absolutely. We're doing the work, honey. We are doing the work. Well, you got to, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're just repeating the same stuff every few years. It's mind boggling. It really is. Sometimes I feel like we're doing that anyway. But (laughs) I love how we went from neon spinning uterus to this. I mean, look how well-rounded we are. Honestly, that's my brain. That's (laughs) you. We've gone from the ranges of either side of my brain. Absolutely. Yeah. There's two sides to us for sure. My last two brain cells, however, would like to ask about kind of going back to this topic of this theme of representation, because we're entering award season now. And it's like the moment where there's a, a big lens on the TV and film industry regarding representation. And then like also who's picking awards, who's up for awards, who's considered worthy of awards. And the Golden Globes were kind of the first to kick this off very recently. They happened. We've had a few instances of representation in different communities. Chloe Zhao winning Best Director, Minari winning Best Foreign Film, and even it being put in that category was like a huge thing because what does it mean to tell an American story in another language? Does it make it less American? But then we also had like a queer breakthrough moment. Jodie Foster kissing her wife at the Golden Globes, which I thought was dope with that tiny dog in their dope (laughs) outfits. Goals. I know, truly. The question is kind of twofold. Like, first, should we be looking toward these awards to reflect the kind of change we want to see? And then second, are they catching up? Is is there maybe some progress being made? That sigh was for the whole community. <laughs> First of all, I was on cloud nine that Minari won, of course, in the wrong category. But yeah, <laughs> Chloe also winning. I mean, that's huge. She made history. She's the first woman of yeah. color to win for best director. Just the fact that they're still firsts. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many years? We're still counting them. Like, exactly. What? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it, we should be celebrating. Of course, we should be celebrating. But it's almost like, oh, here you go. There's just already not enough representation in, in the BIPOC community when it comes to awards, period. We talk about the shows that really swept the nation this year. I May Destroy You being a masterpiece. And things like that don't get recognized. I mean, it it just makes you wonder so many things like one, okay, are we putting award shows on a pedestal? What is the point of this, you know, last day of school banquet? (laughs) 
that's so real. Like the speech and debate yeah, banquet. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. no, I know that I had better participation than, you know, Lily. <laughs> I know I was more spirited than Mark, you know? It's, it's like, it's just so interesting. Also, I also feel like there's not enough in the category. There's like, what, five, six? Maybe put 12 in there. I don't know. It's like, what is the solution? What is the solution? Because honestly, it, I, I hate it, but I also look forward to it. I fucking love awards. Come on, let's go. Like, we love yeah. watching award shows <laughs> down to the people's choice. The VMAs, are you kidding me? Like, a holiday. Okay? Iconic a every holiday. year. Oh, fully, yeah. We're so torn because, you know, we want to see more representation. And I feel like there is progress sometimes. And then we'll feel like there's been steps taken back. I mean, some of the categories were all white nominees. And I'm just like, there was so much out there. And that goes hand in hand with the fact that there's just not enough leads of color. I watched something like The Undoing and I loved it. I watched something like The Queen's Gambit. Brilliant. But I'm like, why can't that exist with a lead of color? Yeah. It is frustrating, you know? And it's like, we'll take the wins, of course, Chloe and Minari. But at the same time, it's like, there's still so much work to be done. The fact that there's not one single black member of the HFPA, it's like, what? First of all, how are we barely just finding that out right now? The fact that it took the dude that plays Borat to get people talking about that is hilarious to me. It's like people have been screaming this and then the Borat dude was like, hello, all white HFPA. And they were like, oh my God, oh my God, you caught us. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, who told him? Wait, who told him? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, I think that and also, you know, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler also called it out in their yeah. monologue, mm. which was very funny and they can do no wrong. I think that's what we need to do is call it out mm -hmm. with so many of these issues in the past year, in the past 20 years. You know what I mean? Like these are things that have existed and now people are just talking about it, which is important. Let's call it out. Mm -hmm. We just need to call it out. Call it out. Right. Be real about it. And I think you're such a great person to talk to about this, too, because I think more programs like Good Trouble, right, with a writer's room and a cast that really does represent the world we live in and can offer kind of nuanced characters that you can chew on and get to know. It's like you said, if there aren't enough folks in the field and there are more and more, so I, I don't think there's going to be an excuse soon. But if there are very few folks in the field, it is hard to push them beyond that kind of boundary and beyond that gate that's been kind of built there, standing yeah. between them and maybe this mainstream act. Our relationship with awards shows is very complicated. I mean, always, always and forever, right? Because it's like, I feel like every performer is like, you know, I just want to do my craft. I don't want to be famous. But like, deep down, I think everybody wants oh, a little, you know, a sure. little attention and a little bit of an, you know, it's, yeah. First and foremost, we want to do the work. We want to do meaningful course, work that will yeah. make an impact. And that's what's cool about being an actress. You're, what you're doing will last forever. You know, someone could mm -hmm. watch Good Trouble in the year 3000. Like how we would watch, you know, uh, I don't know the three stooges i don't know that that was a long time ago right <laughs> but you know what I yeah, mean? Right, yeah that's in black and white yeah yeah we got it yeah <laughs> but that's it, it lives forever you know and it's like why wouldn't you do meaningful work but that's number one yeah. and of course like just the fame is cool only because you know i do have uh, this amazing immigrant mother who's just so proud and so happy to be here and we've really exceeded the expectations truly we never thought in a million years i would be on a billboard like who the heck <laughs> planned this we didn't. And, and that's just such a beautiful thing. So fame is fun in that regard, you know, just for my mom to show a picture of me with John M. Chu to every single one of her customers at the restaurant. Yes. You know, that really fuels her and that makes me happy and satisfied that I'm like fulfilling her maternal cup. That's a weird sentence. I'm filling her maternal from, cup. From glowing ovaries to maternal cup. Listen, full circle. <laughs> I am a gynecologist apparently. Sherry Cola, the gynecologist of comedy. <laughs> I'm gonna put that in my bio. But yeah, and, and of course, 
money, right? Like we always want money because once again, everything is to make our community proud and make our families proud. And, and you know, it's just we, we're doing our best. Truly, we're just doing our best. Yeah, no, I feel that. Well, thank you for kind of just sharing. I don't you know, being vulnerable about that. I do. I really appreciate it. But after that heartwarming moment, I do have to transition now into a game that I have titled Let Me Get You Cancelled. Oh, I thought that was it. No, that's where we endear the audience to you before we make you do something difficult to defend. All right. Yeah. So hilarious. This is basically how the game works. So we ask every guest to very sarcastically defend a terrible take, a person or a position on an issue from the previous week. With you, I wanted to go back to something that we've actually talked about on this episode. You are a comedian, but you are also television's most visible heckler representation. <laughs> so in 60 seconds or less, I would like you to defend heckling. Give me five reasons why more comedians should be heckled. You know, I'm all about teamwork <laughs> and, and, and just I'm open. I'm open to criticism. What are we but just, uh, you know, malleable, growing learning human beings if you're not going to be open to two cents from a stranger. Like, I'm trying to give you tough skin, honey. I'm sitting in the audience. I'm in the dark. You can't even see my face. Like, this is as if someone's walking, you know, as if you're walking on the street at midnight. Someone drives by and says, stupid shoes. They're making you a better person. Okay? They're they're improving your 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 aesthetic value by by waking you up and and letting you know, you know, just keeping it real, giving feedback. Feedback. Who doesn't like feedback? That's the F word that I I choose to live by. Um and also Janet Jackson feedback um is on rotation. And I think Janet Jackson could heckle me any day. I wouldn't say no. I would truly I would thank her for it. Oh my goodness. Was, was that 60 seconds yet? You know what? We got three in, but those were good enough, right? Number one is it's it's constructive feedback, right? Number two is you have the time you can't see the person, so it doesn't really matter. And number three is that we brought it back to Janet Jackson. And ultimately, right. that is the most important thing. A full circle. Full nipple ring circle. Okay, yes. We've got we've got the glowing ovaries, we've got the maternal cup, and we've got the full nipple ring circle. The three golden, golden rules of life. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry, thank you so much for coming on today. You've been such a good sport. You've been so much fun. You're awesome. Oh. I wish we could bring you on like every week, just once a month. Oh my goodness. Whenever you want to swing by, you let me know. This was a ton of fun. I'll be back. I'll be back a hundred percent. And the feeling is mutual. Seriously, I'm I'm obsessed with you I think I'm gonna uh, make make a gum sculpture of you in my closet yeah oh my gosh stop and then we'll give you a unibrow we'll do Helga and Arnold we are both 30 years old (laughs) we are both 30 years old (laughs) we did watch Nickelodeon growing up thank you very much oh I love you thank you so much boo thank you likewise and also Sherry before we let you go I do want to ask where can folks find you online plug your socials plug projects websites whatever you got Uh, listen just Hit me up on Instagram, Sherry Cola, and watch Good Trouble every Wednesdays, freeforming on Hulu. Amazing. Oh, well, thank you again, Sherry. I can't wait to see the next episode on this season. Yes. I do want to remind our listeners of one last thing before we go. I wanted to let you all know about Q Digital's Save Our Spaces initiative. It's raising funds to support 
support LGBTQ venues who have been hit especially hard during the pandemic. You can do two things. You can go to gaycities.com slash save our spaces, just all those words together, no space, to make a tax deductible donation. And you can also, if you know a bar or club owner, you can also tell them to check it out to see more information on how they can actually get a grant to help stay afloat during the pandemic. And uh, if you're listening, please make sure to support the Queerty Podcast, subscribe, rate, review our show right now wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also get your Queerty fix every day at Queerty.com. Thank you again for listening. Our guest today was Sherry Cola. I am your host, Gabe Gonzalez. Queerty has been a joint production between Forever Dog and Q Digital. Queerty is hosted by me, Gabe Gonzalez, produced by Andrew McGuire, engineered and edited by Shireen Lonnie Yunez, music by Gabe Lopez, executive produced by Joe Cilio, Brett Boehm, Alex Ramsey, Scott Gatz, John Halbach, Dan Tracer, and Melissa D. Mons. Forever! Forever!